Good morning, Berean. Hey, great job, Trace Team. I, I love that last song. I listened to that on the radio. I love it. It's beautiful from scripture. I love that the third song, Once an Enemy, Now Sitting at the Table with the Lord. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Praise Team. That, that was fantastic. Valeris was saying we need to be thankful even during the COVID. One thing I'm very thankful for is I talk to a lot of my friends who go to different churches is that they go to large churches and they haven't been able to meet yet. And here we are, we've been meeting for a while now. And that's a blessing. Not to say that, you know, we always want to stay small, but there are some advantages of of being small with the COVID. So uh, thank you again, praise team. Now, I mentioned tomorrow school starts. I've got my Plymouth Christian shirt on. We're ready to go. We're going to be there. You know what group of people that's it's really scary for tomorrow, besides the staff? <laughs> it's kindergarten. And I remember years ago that we had a kindergartner, a little boy, and he was very, very scared his first day of school. It's also tough on the parents, especially the moms who drop off a kindergartner. It's scary for them, too. But this little boy, he had tears in his eyes, and he was scared. And our kindergartner teacher, what she did is she put on a badge of courage and gave it to this little boy. Almost like the Wizard of Oz with the lion and at the end of the school day when his mom picked him up his mom says how was school and he said I was really scared at the start but then I got my badge of courage and I felt so much better after that and it's a it's cute I mean it's it's an interesting story But how would you rate your courage as a Christian? How would you rate your courage? When you have an opportunity to stand up for the Lord, how would you rate your courage? Being obedient to the Lord, even in difficult situations, how is your courage? Today, in Judges chapter 6, we're going to come to a judge... And he is going to start out as a coward. He is going to start as a scaredy cat. And it's amazing how God is going to work in his life to make him into a warrior. And there are so many lessons for you and I today as we go through it. This will be a two-week Uh, series as we study Gideon as our judge this week. Little review. Last week we had that great story of Judge Deborah and Barak and Jael and how they destroyed um, King Jabin and General Sisera. If you remember, there was 900 chariots that got stuck in mud 
and the Lord intervened and gave them great victory. And you notice at the very last verse of Judges 5, and Deborah is singing her victory song, and she says, So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. You see this cycle in the book of Judges. The people disobey. They cry out to the Lord. God brings up a judge. They're delivered. There's peace for a while. Then they fall right back into the cycle. So taking a look at Judges chapter 6, let's read the first six verses. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. A little history on these Midianites. We have Abraham and his wife Sarah died. He remarried, and his second wife was Katera. And they had a son named Midian, and from there, the Midianites came. You might remember the story of Moses when he escaped Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, when Moses escaped Egypt after killing the Egyptian. He ended up going to the land of the Midians, and he met his wife, Zipporah, and his father-in-law was the priest of the Midians. They were told, this is the lesson, they were told, and later on in the wilderness, they turned against Israel, the Midianites did. And remember, the people were told, the Israelites, to destroy them completely. And they did not destroy them completely. And the Midianites repopulated, they organized themselves, and here they are, they're back. They're back. And that's a lesson for all of us. God tells us, and in fact, there's a famous verse in Hebrews 12, 1, throw off some of the things that hinder you. Is, is that what it says? Throw off? No. Throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you and let us run the patience or the race that's been set forth before us. So we're to get rid of all the sin, and the people of Israel were, were to get rid of all the Midianites, and they disobeyed. So now they're back. And of course, they were allies with the Amalekites and with the Eastern people. This is a very frustrating story. Can you imagine this? Every year for seven years, the Israelites would plant crops, and it would come to harvest time. Let's say harvest was the end of October. Well, the third week of October, here comes the Midianites. Here they come. 
And they were huge. They were like locusts. They swarmed into the land. They had camels. You don't think of camels as being a, uh, something used in battle, but if you have a full-size camel coming at you, that would be pretty intimidating. They get pretty big. And they would come in, and the people of Israel, they would just flee. They would go up in the mountains, hide in caves. They were scared. It had to be frustrating. My wife can testify that I have three raspberry plants at my house. I love raspberries. And I baby those raspberries. I'm out there. I'm pulling the weeds. Miracle grow. And guess what? Right now it's harvest time. And I love it. I'm going out. I'm picking those big red raspberries. What happens if I look out my house and I see my neighbors coming over with baskets and they're taking all my raspberries. I would be, I'd be pretty upset. In fact, if they're some of my smaller, weaker neighbors, I would go out and say something. No. But this is, this is how Israel was. They work all year at their crops. And at harvest time, the Midianites would come in, and not only would they take the crops, they would take sheep, any of the cattle. They would destroy everything. And then, of course, Israel would come back. They would see the whole land destroyed. And they would have to make do with what they had. Another year of very little food. But the point is here in very verse 1, the Israel, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible is very clear in Proverbs and Hebrew that God disciplines his children. Charles Spurgeon said, the Lord does not permit his children to sin successfully. His ultimate purpose is that they might be conformed to the image of his son. When the Lord disciplines us, it's evidence that he loves us that we're his children. And there's two ways God's going to get our attention, through his word or through discipline. Now, it's, you pick. Uh, one way or another, God's going to get your attention. The, the Israelites were disobedient to his word, so now God is disciplining them to get their attention. So let's take a look at verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The people of Israel are in trouble. So what does God say? A prophet? Why a prophet? Because it seems like right now what Israel needs is a deliverer. But the point is, Israel's problem is not the Amalekites. It's not the Midianites. 
Israel's problem was sin. In the United States of America right now, we see COVID. We see our economy. We see unrest. We see systemic racism. We see looting. Those are not the problem. The main problem is sin in the United States of America. That's the main problem. Those are all byproducts. Those are the results of sin. Our country needs the Lord. Jesus is the only answer for the problems. So that's why God sent this prophet, an unnamed prophet. And he reminds the people, it was God's faithfulness that brought you out of Egypt. It was God's faithfulness. He brought you into the promised land. He, he provided victory. He gave you this land. But he does ask for obedience. If the, Jews, if the Jewish people were suffering under the Gentile bondage, there was only one cause for that. It was their sin. They couldn't blame God for that. It was their own sin that caused it. And God was disciplining them. Let's take a look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down, down under the oak of Ophrah. Do you remember a number of months ago I, I spoke on trees in the Bible? I mentioned one last week. There, there's trees throughout the Bible. It's really amazing. Sat down under the oak in Ophrah that, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. It's interesting uh, threshing. Again, I'm not a farmer. I'm sure most of you on a daily basis, you thresh wheat, right? <laughs> but my understanding is when, when you thresh wheat, you take it up on somewhere in a high ground and you, because you want a lot of wind to be blowing. And there's the the trashy part of the wheat, the shaft, which is lighter, and then you have the heavier wheat and grain, and you throw it up in the air, and the wind takes, blows the shaft away, and the, the more beneficial grain and wheat falls down, and that's what you collect. That's what normally, that's what normally you do when conditions are good. But we're going to see that Gideon had to do it a, a different way. So we take a look at verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, can you imagine Gideon? He's looking around like, Who, who you call mighty? Who you call warrior? Yeah, who are you talking about? Because he's in a wine press. A wine press is way down low. It's dug out. There's no way that Gideon wanted to be up high in the mountain because then the enemy could see him. So he's trying to thresh wheat way in a very low place. This angel of the Lord comes and says, God be with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon's thinking, what? Mighty, mighty warrior? And by the way, this angel of the Lord, let me say it right now, many scholars feel that whenever it says angel of the Lord, 
that this was a pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ or Christophany. Whether you take that or not, it's, it's a messenger of God, whether it's an angel or a pre-incarnate visit from Jesus Christ himself. But he says again, you know, the Lord, I'm with you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring you out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Wow. 3,000 years ago, Gideon is saying the very words that you and I have probably used before. Lord, where are you? Lord, they say you're a faithful God, but I'm not hearing from you. Where are you? You know, Gideon keeps this up. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame of Faith in Chapter 11. But can, he, can I give you a little scoop? He does make it. Right now, I don't think he qualifies. And if, if he really believes that this is the pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ, he's telling, he's telling God, hey, what have you done for me lately? Can you imagine that? Saying that to God? It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that he's so quick to blame God. He doesn't mention at all the sin of Israel. It's so easy for us to overlook our own sin and blame God when bad things happen. The first person we should look at when bad things happen is ourselves. Not to say that there's always a direct cause and effect. We studied Job last year, and we know that a lot of bad things happened to Job, and it wasn't a direct cause. Job was unaware of that little deal going on between God and Satan. So just because bad things happen to you, it's not always a direct cause. But the first thing that we should look at is examine our hearts and say, God, are we being disobedient? Like, like the psalmist, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. If there's any hidden sin, any, you know, I want to be cleansed from that. But again, we see the discipline. We see the discipline of God coming on the people. This initial reaction by Gideon sort of reflects his faith and his, his spiritual perception. He, he just wanted to blame. He was doing the blame game. He wasn't willing to look at himself. Take a look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. He's being very polite. Pardon me, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, 
and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. He's like Moses. Remember when Moses was called? God, I, I'm not the person to lead. He was very reluctant. Here he makes excuses. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. It's, it's not like the tribe of Judah or the tribe of the Benjamites. I'm the tribe of Manasseh. And I'm least in my family. My family is least and. You know, I'm sort of like the black sheep of my family. We're going to find out later that his family actually worshipped Baal. And Gideon probably separated himself from his family, so he was like the outcast of the family. So he was least in his family. But God said, I'm going to be with you. You know, one of the definitions of faith, faith means obeying God in spite of what we see, how we feel, or what consequences might be. That's what, that's what faith is. And he's questioning God. Throughout the Bible, I mean, Romans eleven thirty four. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Job eleven seven. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Here the angel of the Lord made these promises from his word. He kept on saying, I'm going to be with you. You're going to have victory. I'm going to be with you. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But Gideon, Gideon didn't accept the word. He said, I, I want a sign. I need a sign. Your word is not enough. You know what's amazing about that is when you travel and you go to a hotel room and you open up the drawer, you see the word of God. And it's who is it by? <laughs> the Gideon. <laughs> There's the word of God right there. But Gideon, initially, the word of God was not enough. And, uh, you know, he, he's telling God, God, you've made two mistakes so far. You're telling me I'm a mighty warrior. I'm not a mighty warrior. And then you're saying that we're going to go out and beat the Midianites. You know, it's like, you, I think you've got the wrong person. The wrong person in the wrong country. And he, he's second-guessing God. And wow, what a mistake that is. I love one of my source, uh, sources for this week is, uh, I really like listening to him. His name is J.D. Greer. He's, he's a pastor down in North Carolina. And I believe he's the president of the Southern Baptist um, Convention. And he has a great quote. God doesn't call the brave. He makes brave the called. Isn't that a great quote? He doesn't call the brave. He makes brave the called. We'll keep that slide up here. Because Gideon is hiding right now. 
And he's not too courageous at this point. God is not picking Gideon because of his present condition. He's not courageous right now. But God sees what he's going to make out of Gideon. He's not calling him because of his present condition. God sees Gideon just as detailed in his future. And he knows what type of person Gideon is going to become. When God gives us a job, he doesn't look at our character presently. He's looking at what God is going to make us in service for him. Moses says, when he was God, I can't speak. God says, I'll be your mouth. I will be your mouth. God comes to Abraham as an old man. I'm going to make you a father of a nation with many descendants. Abraham is old, his wife's old, and she's sterile. God says, I promise you, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I like the second, the second quote that J.D. Greer has. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So when he comes to us, God sees us where he wants to take us. Gideon was a coward at right, right now. He was a coward. But God saw Gideon where he was going to take him as his character matured. I tell you who's the opposite. When God comes to us and gives us a job to do, sometimes we listen to Satan. Satan is the great accuser of the brethren. He says, Steve, you can't do that job. You sin too much. You've got this weakness and that weakness. God can't use you. Satan is the great accuser of the brethren. He wants you to, to stay being a coward. He doesn't want you to step out on faith. For again, God doesn't call the equipped, he, equip, he equips the call. Take a look at verse 19. Gideon went inside and prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Bezerites. So Gideon prepared the sacrifice. This was very costly. Remember, food was scarce. So he 
prepared this, this young goat and an ephah. You guys know what an ephah is. Don't you always, when you, when you cook, you do ephahs? It's a half a bushel. It's 36 pounds. And it probably took an hour to dress the meat and make the unleavened cake. And he brings this, and he sees this. He sees this miracle of this angel with a staff, and fire comes out of the rock, consumes everything. The angel disappears. And Gideon is afraid. The Jews thought, and there's scripture to back this up, that Sinful man cannot see God. If they saw God, they would die. And Gideon was so impressed by this angel or the angel of the Lord that he thought he was going to die. And God had to come and, and reveal to him, you're not going to die. Relax. But nothing is too hard for the Lord. We, we see that throughout Scripture. You know, uh, God said to Abraham, is anything too hard? God. The angel told Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Job discovered that God could do everything. Jeremiah admitted, there was nothing, there's nothing too hard for God. Jesus told the disciples, with God, all things are possible. Paul testified later in the epistles that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Take a look at verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid and his family and townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and a second bowl sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. This was a true test for Gideon. Baal was also a government-type religion. So to go and tear down the altar to Baal, and the Baal altars were built on the high places, so everybody would see Gideon when he pulls down this altar. And it's a very serious consequence. If he gets caught, it's probably going to mean his life. You know what's so ironic about this? 
Part of the town's people that were worshiping Baal were Israelites. In the Bible, Deuteronomy 13, it says that idolaters or people who worship pagan gods should be stoned to death. Here Gideon is going to pull down an idol and the people are going to threaten him with death. Isn't that ironic how, how, it's, how it's turned? And of course, he took a lot of heat. I'm sure his dad wasn't too happy. His bull was sacrificed. I mean, and he worshiped Baal. His dad initially wasn't. And here's the point. When you do God's will, you're going to be criticized by even people close by you. When you do God's will, there might be people in your own family that will criticize you. In opposition, even from within the church, you might get, you might get criticism. But this is the first test. Gideon had to take a stand in his hometown. Of course, he's taking baby steps. When did he go? At nighttime. He went at nighttime. It's up on a high hill. He takes 10 of his servants. But you have to start small. This, this was a test. God was trying to say, Gideon, you got to pass these small tests before I have large, I mean, before you fight the Midianites, you better win the battles in your hometown. You remember David? You know, David, before he fought Goliath on the battlefield with all these armies watching him, as a young boy, he would be out watching the sheep and a lion or a bear would come to attack the sheep. And he would get out his sling, and God, he was faithful, and God would rescue him and deliver him for that situation. So David grew. God gives us smaller tests before he gives us larger tests. And now is David's test, and this is Gideon's test. There's a parable in Matthew 25 of the master who loaned money. And, of course, one of his faithful servants, he comes in Matthew 25 and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So here, the angel of the Lord says, Gideon, we're going to start off, we're going to start off with a smaller test. You're faithful in the smaller test. We're going to give you a larger test. These Baal altars were high. They were very elaborate. And the Asherah pole next to it was, was huge. And it took quite a task to bring them down. But someone leaked. He did it at night. I think it was maybe CNN or something. They, they had coverage of him pulling the statue down. You know where I'm going with this, right? So it happened that night, and word got out that it was Gideon. It was Gideon. It, it's, a, it's very easy to be critical of Gideon sometimes, especially when he went at night. But let's face it, you and I, are we, do we sort of back off sometime in a Christian testimony? We're, we're not always as brave as we would like to be when we take a stand for the Lord. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's following God in the midst of the fear. 
this great story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Nebuchadnezzar. When, when he, you know, raised the, the temperature on that furnace, I think they were scared. I think they were scared, but they had confidence in God. They told Nebuchadnezzar, God is with us. He's going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we're going to praise our God. He goes in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar, I see a fourth man. I see that fourth man. It's God. God is with them. And, you know, so, yeah, we, we could be fearful at times. Courage is not the absence of fear. And then the other big lesson here is when he pulls down this, this bale, is um, revival, revival starts at home. Revival starts at home. I, uh, I like how his dad sort of defended him. His dad had a change of heart when he saw the bravery of Gideon. He says, hey, if Baal's really a god, let Baal contend with him. His dad had a change of heart. Revival begins at home. Before you want to get rid of the Midians, you got to break down the Baals or the pagan idols in your life. Before God can use you in a mighty way, you got to start with yourself. Is there anything I'm doing that, is there any idols that's getting between me and God? Um, God's a jealous God. It says in the word, God will not share his glory with the love of, with another God. Amen. It's interesting, God, uh, Gideon built his own little private altar. And uh, it's been said that before we build up our little altars, we got to get rid of all the false altars around us. And, and Gideon was obedient in, in doing that. But it's just, uh, and I love this nickname they give him. They actually give it Gideon a nickname. Jerub Baal. He was, uh, he was given him a nickname. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, pastor, teacher in Chicago, when he was creating the big Sunday school in Chicago, he was given the nickname um, Crazy Moody. That was the nickname. Charles Spurgeon was made fun of by the British press as he was establishing his churches. Maybe you've been given a nickname for your testimony of the Lord. And if you have been given a nickname, praise the Lord. Wear that nickname like a medal of honor and keep honoring the Lord. That's a great testimony when you're given a nickname because you honor the Lord, especially if, if the world has given you a nickname. But Gideon learned a valuable, valuable lesson that day. That to obey the Lord, even with fear in your heart, you can have victory and God gets the glory. He, he's going to need to know this. Next week is going to be part two on Gideon. The main battle hasn't really begun yet. This is all the groundwork. God, God is working and Gideon is, is a great encouragement to all of us because 
God often gives us jobs to do. And we make excuses. We can't do this. I, I'm too weak. I'm not good enough. You know, you haven't gifted me. I don't have that. But God sees us where he wants to take us. Again, he doesn't see us in our presence. He, he sees where he's going to take us as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. When God gives us a job to do, he provides all the resources, the talents, and the power of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. All he says is, trust me. Are you available? Trust me, the battle is mine, not yours. So in weeks to come, we're going to see Gideon go from a coward to a conqueror. And that's what God wants us. He wants to take us in our present condition, each one of us. All of our day, days are ordained for us. Before we're, God's got a job for us. We just have to be open. We have to be open for his leading. Amen? Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this example from your word. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you don't, you don't call the equipped. You equip the called. And, Lord, you don't, you don't choose us because we're so good. We're not. Lord, you have given us spiritual gifts. And, and Lord, I just pray that we would be open that we would be willing to serve you. Help us to realize that courage involves fear. Yes, we are fearful, but we have that promise that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. You're always with us. As we go through the flames in life, you're the fourth man in the fire. You're right there with us. And Lord, I pray that we would feel your presence and give us the strength, Lord, to do what you want us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.